This episode is made possible with the support from our sponsor, Vodafone America's Foundation. Vodafone America's Foundation mobilizes partners from all sectors to empower women and girls through technology, as well as support social justice projects. I remember that very evening, the woman came, the woman that would introduce me to the work that would teach me, the woman came, she accompanied me to, to the street. There, I met a lot of Nigerian girls. I can remember one of them said, don't you guys know that there is no job? All these people, they are criminals. Blessing Okidion, then 26 years old, had fallen victim to human trafficking. I was confused. I was traumatized. I was angry. I could not act. I was yet to understand what was really happening. This is Finding Humanity, and I'm your host, Hazami Bermada. Through personal stories of courage and purpose, our podcast puts a human face on the most critical human rights and social justice issues facing our world. In each episode, we aim to educate and inspire you to take action, and together, to help create a better world. Stay tuned for a special thought leadership segment with Grasa Michelle at the end of this episode. The segment is brought to you through a partnership with The Elders, an independent group of global leaders brought together by Nelson Mandela. Blessing is one of seven children from a Christian family. She grew up in a small village in Nigeria. It's not like in the city where everyone has to mind this or our own business. In the village, we do things together, we live together, the children play together, we go to the market together, we go to the farm together. The village where Blessing grew up had no hospital. As a result, Blessing witnessed many members of her community dying. This left a question within me. Why are people dying? Why are children dying? Why are my friends dying? There were a lot of women dying during childbirth. I need to help my friends to stop dying. Blessing wanted to become a doctor to treat the members of her community, but her parents could not afford a medical degree. She decided to move to Benin City in Nigeria to study computer science instead. There, she met a woman named Alice. This woman was like a mother figure. She became a friend, you know, a very good Christian, praying for me always. She introduced me to most of her friends, and I was happy. I trusted her. Our friendship was good. I knew her family, I knew her husband, her children. After over a year of knowing each other, Alice told Blessing about a job opening in Spain. It was at her brother's computer store. The pay was attractive, and overall, it sounded like a good opportunity. Blessing applied and got the job. She received a two-year work visa from an agency Alice directed her to. Not long after, Blessing was on her way to Europe. When I got to Spain, everything seemed so nice, so organized, so good. 
But on her second day there, Alice called her. She said that her brother had just opened another branch of his business in Italy. What? Italy? She said yes. I had an odd feeling. I had a missed feeling like my destination was supposed to be Spain. Why Italy? Despite her doubts, Blessing traveled to Naples, Italy. When she arrived, she met someone who took her documents and luggage. She was then taken to an apartment with other women. They were hairdressers, there were some that didn't go to school at all, that they said they were there to work as a babysitter. Some were there for just same purpose, work. Later that day, Blessing was told that she needed to pay back the 65,000 euros that they had supposedly spent on her work visa. And that was when I understood that I had fallen into the hands of traffickers. Exactly that moment. Blessing's situation is not uncommon. According to the International Labor Organization, in 2016, an estimated 40.3 million people worldwide were trafficked. This crime earns profits of roughly $150 billion a year for traffickers. Human trafficking is the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of an individual by improper means. It is done for the purpose of exploitation, which can include the removal of organs, prostitution, sexual exploitation, forced labor, slavery, or similar practices. The majority of victims are trafficked within their own countries or regions. But among reported cases, one in 10 victims are transported to another part of the world. This transfer usually happens from less economically developed to wealthier countries, just like what happened to Blessing. These groups work to recruit vulnerable populations in one country who are looking to migrate for economic purposes or to escape poverty or for other reasons, who are then um, being facilitated through a transit country and then ended up in a country of destination where they're then exploited, received by another part of the group who then exploits them. That is Catherine Bryant. Catherine is a research and policy manager at the Walk Free Foundation, an international human rights organization that works to end modern slavery. So at Walk Free, we use a phrase called modern slavery, which is an umbrella term to encompass many different forms of exploitation. These organized crime groups are not bad people existing in a vacuum, like they're taking advantage of structural disadvantages and discrimination of individual groups to be able to traffic these people across borders. In Blessing's case, her supposed friend took advantage of her by gaining her trust and offering her a fake job. Even after Blessing realized that she was being trafficked, she didn't believe that Alice could have tricked her. She wanted to call her, but the traffickers had taken away her phone as well. If I resist them, something bad can happen to me immediately because I already know that I have fallen into the den of criminals. I just have to be a little bit diplomatic. I have to be a little bit careful. The traffickers proceeded to open Blessing's luggage and inspect her belongings. They told me that my clothes that I brought from Nigeria, I can't use them there. Then they went to buy the kind of clothes that they want me to wear. That is when Blessing understood that they were going to force her to prostitute herself. I can remember vividly when I realized that I have become a slave was when I chose the top that I loved. The woman said, no, 
drop it because that is not what I want for you. I was 26 years old. My choice doesn't matter anymore. My desire doesn't matter anymore. My want does not count anymore. I can't think to choose what is good for me anymore. Commercial sexual exploitation is the most common form of human trafficking, and it generates $99 billion in profits annually. According to the Walk Free Foundation, in 2016, 3.8 million adults and 1 million children were victims of sexual exploitation. That's a total of 4.8 million people. While a majority of these cases happen in the Asia-Pacific region, sexual trafficking is present in every region of the world, with females constituting 99% of its victims. Recognizing this is a particularly gendered issue is super important when I'm trying to understand human trafficking. That's Catherine again. Women and girls are disproportionately affected by these forms of exploitation throughout their life cycle, from before conception all the way through to old age. Women are at a disadvantage in terms of discrimination, access to opportunities um, to employment, access to education, which makes them inherently more vulnerable to exploitation. One out of every 150 women in the world will experience some form of exploitation. Trafficking of women from Nigeria to Europe is common. According to the UN's International Organization for Migration, 80% of Nigerian women who arrive into Italy are destined for sexual exploitation. I met a lot of Nigerian girls. They were very welcoming. They started asking me questions. I started asking them too. Then I can remember one of them said, don't you guys know that there is no job in Europe? All these people, they are criminals. I was very, very angry. You know, as they were sharing the story, crying, telling me, you, why do you have to come? Better you die there than to come here. In this place, there is no life. In this place, you are just like a product. In this place, you have no say. The women stopped talking when clients approached them. They asked Blessing to smile. You know, why? What is the reason of smiling? Because I have to let my clients know that is what I choose to do. I'm happy doing it. I have no problem doing it. I was broken. I was broken. I do not feel myself anymore. I do not see myself as a person. I have totally lost my freedom. All the sacrifices have totally gone. I don't even have chance to dream again. Then I asked a question. Is there no way of escape? They started laughing. Most of them told me no. Because before they left Nigeria, they were made to take an oath. Blessing is talking about juju a traditional oath-taking ceremony in West Africa, particularly in countries like Nigeria and Ghana. The ceremony is performed by a witch doctor. In some cases, it promises to curse women if they do not pay back their debts in full. As reported in The Guardian, juju curses are potentially keeping tens of thousands of Nigerian women under the control of human traffickers across Europe. It's just a way to condition them psychologically. 
to hold them in perpetual slavery. But even women like Blessing, who didn't take the oath, were afraid of going to the police. They were told by traffickers that they would be arrested for not having their documents and coming illegally into the country. They will tell you, white people, they can give information to the police. That is why when they see most white people that want to come and help them, especially women, especially of these organizations that are fighting against human trafficking or all these organizations that are providing social welfare for the girls that are on the street, many of the girls, they run from them. Because they will tell you that they come there to give information to the police. When the police get you, they take you to prison. This is an example of how difficult it is to identify victims of human trafficking. There are lots of factors that prevent individuals from wanting to come forward and wanting to identify themselves. You know, we're talking about a business at the end of the day that profits from the exploitation of these individuals. This is a crime that can be involved transnational organized groups which prevent detection of these individuals. It also might be not in the individual's best interest to come forward. They feel like they may be penalized in some way if they do come forward. So take, for example, the exploitation of migrant workers. If they are in a country without a visa or without a regular status, they may not want to come forward to authorities for fear of being deported or in detention for some other offense. Blessing, on the other hand, had the courage to attempt an escape. She initially shared her story with her clients in hopes that they would help her, but she soon realized that her strategy wasn't going to work. On her second day on the streets, she decided to go to the precinct. She signed a complaint against the people at the brothel, which did nothing to hold them accountable. The police, however, took her to Casa Ruth, a home run by Catholic nuns for migrant women forced into sexual slavery. According to the latest reports, in 2019, only a little over 11,000 traffickers were prosecuted. That's roughly one prosecution for every 2,155 victims. I spoke to Elias Chatsis to understand why this is the case. Elias is the head of the anti-human trafficking and migrant smuggling section at the United Nations. It is often that a case could be so complicated, so entangled with other crimes that it may be difficult to really focus on the trafficking case when you have corruption involved, when you have money laundering, or where is the money, who has been involved in the procurement of the documents, and all this. So it's really complicated. That's why it's a serious crime. It takes effort, it takes resources to look at it. That unfortunately, a number of traffickers would either not be convicted, not be prosecuted even, or if they're prosecuted, they may be prosecuted for lesser offenses. Sometimes authorities also think that it's better to get somebody behind bars, even for less time, for a lower crime that they are able to prove, rather than trafficking persons that may be more difficult to prosecute and more difficult to prove in court. According to Ilias, the Convention Against Transnational Organized Crime is a good starting point in the efforts to solve human trafficking. This convention was created back in 2000 to arrive at a common understanding of what human trafficking is and how countries can cooperate in addressing it. The convention is supplemented by three protocols. One is the protocol to prevent, suppress, and punish trafficking in persons, especially women and children. Two is the protocol against the smuggling of migrants by land, sea, and air. And three is the protocol against the illicit manufacturing of and trafficking in arms, their parts and components and ammunition. The convention is a landmark 
convention and the protocols, the landmark protocol. And this is extremely, extremely important because it provides an agreed framework that the countries have agreed to cooperate with to address this crime. You need to have legislation that defines the crime so you know what you're dealing with. You don't confuse it with other types of crimes and traffickers do not walk away with an administrative fine because it's a simple labor violation. You don't punish victims for crimes they might have been obliged to commit while they were trafficked. And you have to support victims of human trafficking. You have to have a network of agencies and NGOs and other structures to make sure that these people will be able to get back on their feet once they're saved from the traffickers and possibly also help you in your criminal proceedings by testifying and by helping you to dismantle the organized crime. There has been significant progress in the implementation of both the convention and the protocol. There are definitely many gaps still remaining. Crime is evolving, organized crime is evolving, is mutating, as I say often. It adapts to circumstances, and we see also new forms of this crime during COVID. But there is progress, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Catherine Bryant and James Cockane, an expert in trafficking and slavery at the United Nations University, published a human trafficking report in 2020. They evaluated the efforts to eradicate human trafficking put in place since the adoption of the convention two decades ago. One of their findings was that the support for survivors of human trafficking is effective when it is victim-centered. And it can take the form of asking the victim themselves what they would like to do, how they would, you know, what they would like to achieve as, as a result of their exploitation. Would they like to go down um, a criminal justice approach? Would they like to prosecute the person who exploited them? Would they instead like to look at um, compensation as a potential response? Or would they like to be repatriated and just return home and never speak of this again? So often we see the um, donors provide programming, which is a bit of a one-size-fits-all and doesn't really reflect on the individual requirements that those uh, that people want as a result of being trafficked. We've also seen cases where individuals um, don't want to come forward as a result of the stigma that they perceive they will receive if they return to their communities. They don't want to be identified because of the shame that they feel. So this is a real issue that we see. And what's very important is when we're designing victim support programs that we really take that into account and that we provide kind of this longer term support. So many support programs at the moment have a very short time period where we expect individuals who've gone through these really extreme forms of slavery, really extreme forms of exploitation to then pick themselves up within a few months and then kind of go back to their country and, and move on. But actually it's a really long process to rebuild that sense of empowerment and to rebuild their lives after that. In Blessing's case, she initially wanted to return to Nigeria and pretend nothing had happened. I said, I don't want anybody to know. Then I can just say I travel, then I'm back. I just want to go back. This is partially because she knew how women who engaged in prostitution were stigmatized. Many of the girls that were repatriated from Spain in Benin City, you know, it was like these are those people that want to make money in a fast way. They do not want to stress themselves. They do not want to learn how to work. They want to make money in a fast and easy way. I vividly remember that they were also called people that brought HIV to Nigeria. 
I can remember they would say they are the ones because they believe that HIV is not a black man's sickness. It's not an African sickness. There is this uh, HIV is from dog that these girls, they go to Spain to, to have intimacy with dog. Then many people believe all these fake news about these girls. This episode is made possible with the support from our sponsor, Vodafone America's Foundation. Vodafone America's Foundation invests into programs that create opportunities for women and girls to learn new skills, sustain their interests in technology, and allow them to thrive and excel. The organization supports advocacy and gender work for women in and through technology to elevate women's voices and create positive and sustainable change within their communities around the world. The organization also supports equality and social justice projects. To learn more about the foundation's programs and how you can support their network of partners, please visit vodafone-us.com. The link is in our show notes. At Casa Ruth, Blessing met many women with stories similar to hers. She ultimately decided to remain in Italy to help them. Today, she works as a cultural mediator and interpreter. What is important to me is to continue to amplify the voice of those girls that have no voice, to continue to make our voice to be heard, because we know that any girl that is on the street is seen as a product that needs to be bought, that needs to be used, that needs to be consumed, and that needs to be thrown up when it's no longer in use, just like the traffickers. They throw them away. I do not want anybody to fall victim. I just want the government to wake up to their responsibilities to provide the fundamental social values that the citizen needs. They should provide for security. There should be freedom. There should be order and justice. There should be welfare. Experts agree that the solution lies not only in treating the victims, but in addressing the root causes that make victims vulnerable in the first place. The lack of education, the lack of opportunities, the lack of financial means, the lack of work prospects, uh, social prejudices, all of these create an additional layer of vulnerability that makes them more vulnerable to become trafficking victims. And here I want to make one point also that I think is extremely important. When we talk about the vulnerability of victims, I don't think we should ask victims to be less vulnerable. There's a huge responsibility that rests on our society, on our states, on our countries, on our international organizations like the United Nations to make sure that the conditions are not created that lead to trafficking in persons. The victims themselves are the least responsible for a trafficking situation. We're still far from ending human trafficking, but that doesn't discourage Blessing from sharing her story, especially if it can inspire other women to escape sexual slavery. Today, people have started putting their face to narrate their story. We should not hide again the activities of darkness. We should shine the light into it so that people will see what is there. 
so that people will know the truth. And it is only this truth that can give us freedom. We can't continue to keep quiet. We have to open our mouth. We have to share our story. We have to act to change this story, to help those potential victims. I just want them to be courageous, to get out of it. It may not be easy, but I believe all we just have to know that we are human beings and we have rights to live a better life. I want to reiterate some jarring facts from this episode. Commercial sexual exploitation generates $99 billion in profits annually, with 4.85 million victims. The overwhelming majority are women and girls. In this special segment, I speak to Grasa Michelle around the state of gender equality globally. Grasa is a former freedom fighter, international advocate for women and girls' rights, and a founding member of The Elders, founded alongside her husband, Nelson Mandela. Women and girls, they constitute literally half of human population. So it's unquestionable why we need to empower women and girls. It's like our body cannot be complete, cannot be balanced, they cannot reach its potential if we don't have half of it participating fully and equally, it's unthinkable how as a human race, we can be prosperous. We can fully develop without women and girls. Can you give me an overview of the current state of gender equality globally? Human family was uh, making significant progress in uh, gender equality since the Beijing conference, when we were having very targeted strategies on how to do it in all spheres of life until 2019. With the impact of COVID, we are told that we have regressed perhaps about a decade back, which is tragic. Today, we do have if I can give the example of Africa, girls who were in schools, they are staying at home. It will be extremely difficult to make sure that all of them come back to the education system, which means they have become much more vulnerable to early pregnancy, to child marriage, of course, becoming illiterate and with the impact of what that means. We have gender-based violence, which is also a consequence of the COVID, which is world issue. It's global everywhere. And women being subjected to abuse by their partners or by people who are close to them. So the state... Instead of progressing as we were doing until 2019, we have regressed back. I believe that in the positive side is that there are 
hundreds and thousands of organizations who are advocating for women's equality. And even in times of crisis, they are demanding that even as a response to COVID-19, women be at the center and be in all levels of uh, decision-making for reconstruction. So we are at a crossroads. Here, Grasa expands on women's leadership and how we can ensure that women have the self-authorization to live and thrive in societies we're living in. In particular, she talks about the reason why gender-based violence, like female genital mutilation, continues to persist in certain countries. You know, women have not been recognized. It's not that they don't have agency, but their agency and the results of the outcomes of what they represent at those levels, it's not recognized. Because most of the time we just look at the top, top, top levels, and this is what counts. Today, if you look very carefully, women entrepreneurs, particularly in small and medium enterprises, they are emerging as a huge force to put much more resources into society and even resolving many of our problems. So what you're asking is, why do we have still cases of genital mutilation, child marriage, uh, human trafficking, which affects mostly young girls? Why do we have this? It's because we still have structures which are mostly dominated by men, which are operating at the expenses of people. And of course, you know, also at the expenses of the law, because they are not doing this openly. They are not doing this as if it is a legal issue. Grasa shares why she believes organized crimes like human trafficking continue to persist. To deal with this, I think you have to have two different approaches. Social norms. Many of us, we are really engaged in transforming from the small level of families and communities the way we regard a girl. To recognize that a girl is not an object, is a human being with identity, with a dignity. And no matter how small she still is, she has to be taken into account about the decisions about her body, her life, and her future. You start today. And one of the biggest issues we have to deal with is to affirm girls so that they know and they feel that they matter and that they have the right to make decisions about themselves, about their life, about the choices of whatever they want to be, including, for instance, to grow enough so that they can decide when to get married, with whom, how many children they want to have, if they ever want to have children, to choose the profession they want. All these things are part of affirming the girl child, affirming the adolescent girl. Grasa says that affirming girls is an enormous yet necessary task to confront the issues of human trafficking. In organized crime, which is this uh, human trafficking which is flourishing in certain segments, I think it's a responsibility of all countries, developed and non-developed, 
really to unite, to crush, because it's crime. Crime is unacceptable in society. I think sometimes the way it is being dealt with is soft and it's not coordinated. From those countries where these children are being recruited, from how they are being transported, and in countries where they are being used. We need to have much more coordination on this and to be severe in where we punish really those who are involved in this. We hope that this episode gave you an insight into the dark world of exploitation. Sadly, exploitation is a social ill that lurks all around us, often in broad daylight. Through our podcast, we aim to educate and inspire you to take action. There are many ways to do that. Here are just a few suggestions. Individuals have a very important role to play in preventing human trafficking and modern slavery. Depending on where you work, you might be in a position to identify victims of trafficking. For example, if you work in a hotel, hospitality, airlines, or any part of the service industry, you might come in contact with individuals who are being exploited. If someone looks uncomfortable or forced to be traveling or something looks suspicious, report it. Second, as a consumer, be on the lookout if you go to a nail salon, a car wash, or encounter gardeners or street cleaners or any other places that exploit low-waged workers. Some things to look out for is the fact that an individual might not speak the local language. They might seem scared of their boss or extremely fearful, or they might mention that they've been working long and unpaid hours. If that's the case, ask further questions or report it. Third, as consumers, think about who produces your products. If something is super cheap, ask yourself, if this t-shirt was $1, who was exploited to make it? Someone somewhere was exploited to make these goods as cheap as they are. As a consumer, you have the power to push the private sector to be more vigilant in their supply chains. Help us raise awareness about human trafficking and exploitation and what we can do to combat it. Use the educational toolkit that we've prepared on our website to support this podcast episode. Host a teach-in or share it with your friends, colleagues, and community. Knowledge is power, and you have the power to inspire real change. about this episode, check out the links to resources on our show notes and on our website, findinghumanitypodcast.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you've enjoyed Finding Humanity, please share it and leave us a review. To learn more about topics in our podcast and other opportunities to engage with us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at find underscore humanity and on Facebook at Finding Humanity Podcast. In our podcast, we cover pressing and at times controversial social and political issues. The views and opinions expressed are those of the interviewees and do not reflect the positions or opinions of the producers or any affiliated organizations. Finding Humanity is a joint production of the Humanity Lab Foundation and Human Group Media. This season is made possible in part by our collaborating partner, The Elders. While this series is produced in collaboration with our partner, 
the elders did not exercise any editorial discretion on this episode. Our executive producer is Camille Lorente. Associate producer is Fernanda Oriegas. Assistant producer is Diana Galbraith. Associate production, policy, and research by Martina Vanat, Aisha Amin, and Carolina Mendica. Mixing, editing, and music by Maverick Aquino. For this episode, I'd like to thank our speaker, Blessing Okedion, and our experts, Catherine Bryant, Ilias Chatzis, and Grasa Michelle. I'm your host, Hazami Bermada. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.